Star Wars 7x7, episode 863. Today it's part one of a conversation with Bobby Roberts, the podcaster emeritus from Full of Sith, or as he likes to refer to himself, a podcast force ghost at large. Punch it, Chewie. Hey there, this is Tim McMahon, Alan's co-host from the Expanded Comicverse podcast. But hey, you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, a daily Star Wars podcast, seven minutes a day, seven days a week. How awesome is that? Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod. And a few things came together to make these two episodes. This is going to be part one, and tomorrow will be part two of the long conversation I had with Bobby Roberts on Thursday evening. Now, I've been looking for a reason to bring him back on the show, and a few different things all came together that made me say, all right, Bobby, we got to do this. And some of those reasons are going to be detailed in the conversation pretty early on, so I will leave that where it is. But the other thing I wanted to mention is that In the last couple of days, there have been a number of articles popping up about how Rogue One has some new relevancy, some new immediacy in light of the election results here in the United States. And I feel a little bad because Bobby was right on the cutting edge of this idea, and it wasn't until a day or two after we recorded the podcast that this idea started blowing up in articles and on Twitter, and Bobby was ahead of the curve on it, and I didn't get a chance to make it public for him in time. So, Bobby, I'm sorry about that, but I want to make sure that I give credit where credit is due. All right, now that I've assuaged my conscience on this one, Bobby Roberts, full of Sith podcaster, at least formerly so, has stepped away from the Star Wars podcasting mic on a regular basis, has been guesting on a few different podcasts this year, but sort of in an unannounced fashion where he just happens to come up in the conversation, just happens, in quotes, and then he suddenly starts talking, and it's like, oh, hey, Bobby's on the podcast. So that's where the whole podcast forced ghost at large thing came from. This appearance, however, is a bit more overt, as you might say. And let's get into it. Here is part one of my conversation with Bobby Roberts. All right, Bobby Roberts, podcast forced ghost at large. Welcome back to Star Wars (laughs) 7x7. How are you? I'm doing all right, man, and thank you for having me back. It's been almost exactly a year, hasn't it? Has it really? Oh, gosh. I didn't think to actually look back at the date the last time you were on. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, I I ended up uh, making my first appearance on the wonderful st- podcast Star Wars Seven by Seven. As I sort of end up on a lot of podcasts, um, I was running my mouth on Twitter, uh, and you noticed me, <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, "Well, I'll let you talk about it if you want." And I was like, "Oh yes, please give me a microphone. That's the- <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what happens." And so, uh, yeah, a year later, we got another Star Wars movie coming out, and uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about. Uh, Rogue One and its marketing, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Though I do want to ask you first because you mentioned it and we were talking a little bit about it before the broadcast. You know, you've stepped away from the microphone officially and yet (laughs) you have found yourself unofficially on a lot of different podcasts. What has the experience been like for you as a now non-Star Wars podcaster suddenly being on a bunch of Star Wars podcasts over the last year? Uh, it's, it's freeing, uh, being a podcast force ghost, just sort of materializing wherever the conversation might take me is, uh, a lot of fun. And, uh, 
it takes a lot of the pressure off. Uh, when I was uh, regularly helping out with Full of Sith, I was, you know, in some way representing Full of Sith. There was a way to behave, and I didn't want to kick dirt on on Amy Ratcliffe or Brian Young or Mike Pilot's names in any way. I wanted to make sure that um, the show was represented well and people had a good time coming to it. Uh, when people invite me on, I'm still, you know, very cautious that I'm not, you know, ruining their fun or making their show uh, a bad place. But it's also sort of like I can I can sort of stretch out a little. I can I can sort of breathe. You know, I can I can just sort of like fly off the top of the dome and just sort of enjoy the fact that uh, I'm the retired old guy now. Like (laughs) (laughs) I'm that old guy whittling lightsaber hilts out of a out of a stick of wood on the front porch and so like every now and again i might say something weird uh and uh so i might go i don't know about uh grandpa hobbit over there in the kangol cap talking all that yang but it's 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 more fun it's sort of like you know that that one weird counselor that people talk about at summer camp right that's that's me now And do you find yourself, I mean, I know, you know, one of the, one of the big things you did with Phil of Sith was the rumor control episodes. Mm-hmm. And do you find yourself um, keyed in or, or particularly paying attention to the deeper, darker corners of rumors and leaks and spoilers anymore? Or have you kind of no, checked I- out of that? Actually, uh, I was just talking about this on uh, one of my forced ghosty appearances over on Star Wars Report with Riley Blanton. Um not only am I nowhere near as uh, keyed in to the to the spoiler scene, it sort of feels like the spoiler scene has itself receded uh, a little. And we were trying to figure out why that might be, because that seems very much observable uh, around this time last year. Like you had to actively go out of your way to make sure some element of the story for The Force Awakens wasn't slapping up at the back of your calves. Like you had to tiptoe carefully to make <laughs> sure you didn't step in something. Right. Right. Um, this time around, not only does it seem like the security is a little bit better, but it also just seems like the desire isn't there. And so the people that normally feed that desire are just a lot quieter now. Um, and, and I don't know if it's simply because we know a movie is coming every year until 2020 or 2021, uh, that is sort of ratcheted down our our anxiety and our desire to know what's coming so we can feel a little bit better about it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking that might be it. I Maybe it seriously just is that the security's gotten better, but it really does seem like knowing what's going to happen before it happens isn't valued as highly uh, as it was. And I think part of that is also uh, the fan base expanding, bringing new people in. Uh, who weren't trained to look at Star Wars movies in that light. Like, there's a whole bunch of people that hopped on with Clone Wars and Rebels and The Force Awakens who don't really care if they know what happens before it happens. They weren't trained by, you know, 1999 to 2005 to consume Star Wars in that manner with every single drip of detail that they could possibly, you know, stick out their tongue and have it land. Ah, ah. Like, that's (laughs) how... That's how everyone got Star Wars news for a good nine years. You're right. Uh, and, and, and they don't do that now. And they don't care for that now. They, they like the trailers. Uh, they like pictures. They like the magazine articles when they get posted. But a lot of those, a lot of these new fans don't necessarily seem to give too much of a crap about tracking down, uh, you know, the, 
the details that might be sprouting up in some backwoods internet swamp that says they know what Luke Skywalker's costume looks like, or they know <laughs> that, uh, that Jin Erso, uh, does a, a really cool kickflip in the middle of rogue one or something like that. <laughs> they just don't seem to care all that much. They're like, Oh, it'll, it'll come. I'll watch it. It'll be all right. And you know, I feel like even with, um, with star Wars seven by seven, that, is very reflective of my experience as well. I mean, when I was doing the podcasts leading up to The Force Awakens, I was still checking in on the rumor and spoiler scene, and I was splitting the podcast up on the weekly updates that I'd been doing. So there was a non-spoiler section, and then there was a spoiler section, so that way people could jump off and not hear spoilers if they didn't want to. But Mm. this time around with Rogue One, I mean, I'm paying attention as usual, but I'm not as inclined to report on the spoiler stuff. I did mention in a recent update the the thing about Luke Skywalker's costume, but I didn't actually do anything with it on the podcast itself. I just linked off to the story for the blog post for yeah. the show's episode. But well, I mean, and, and even if you had decided to dig into it, there's not there's not really much there. It's I, essentially the story is you know he wears clothes, yeah. which is I mean that's. <laughs> If that's the level of spoiler that we're essentially sitting at, I, I I think that's good. I have no problem with it. And I say that as someone who was a serious spoiler hound uh, and someone who was watching is about 70% of the story of The Force Awakens more or less unfolded in its entirety by May of 2015. Um, it's November of 2016. Rogue One opens in about a month. Uh, at this time in exactly a month, I'm betting a lot of uh, movie critics will have already seen a preview of it. Um, so we're going to have an idea of how good the movie is in its finished form. Uh, and there's still not a whole lot of story details. I mean, I haven't seen any headlines go flitting by on Twitter or, you know, getting posted with giant asterisks and, and, and flashing uh, siren icons as to who lives and who dies in Rogue One or what climactic fight might or might not be happening. I haven't even seen those warnings. Like, maybe they're out there, but it just doesn't seem like people care all that much or all or, you know, are that concerned with any of that stuff. Everyone just seems sort of content to watch the trailers, make their speculation, and let the movie open. And I think that's that's pretty cool. I have no problems with that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you're right. I do think the security has been ratcheted down more. I think they learned from the original experience with The Force Awakens. I mean, they hadn't made a Star Wars movie in 10 years, and it's a whole new crew doing it. So they had, I think, a lot to learn about the level of scrutiny that was going to happen as a result of it. And I think that's got to be part of it. But even just thinking about the the Force Friday stuff this year, were you out and about for Force Friday at all? Uh, no. Um, I I had a sense that it was going to be a little bit lesser. Actually, my Force Friday was supremely disappointing. Uh, if only because the stores that I would normally check, uh, like completely dropped the ball. Like I went in and there was like a couple of T-shirts at one store. <laughs> I went into a comic store. Um, not only did the comic store, which is well known for its collectibles and, you know, went all out on Force Friday 2015, um, not only did they not have anything set up or not even really have any Rogue One toys or merchandise, they didn't even notice I had come in. What? (laughs) Yeah, I walked in. I walked in and started nosing around the shelves of the collectibles uh, for a good two and a half to three minutes and nobody working in the store, which, by the way, was completely empty aside from me, even noticed that I was there. 
It was so that's how quiet Force Friday was uh, for 2016, and they, they definitely didn't push it as hard as they did last year. But again, like you said, that was 10 years of Star Wars being gone. This is you know less than 12 months of Star Wars having more like six months of Star Wars having just left a theater even. So right, I I, I could see why the uh, the excitement and the hype, as it were, was a little bit depressed. So it's going to be really interesting to see if it returns to anything near Force Awakens levels next year when we start coming up on Episode 8. But mm-hmm. this is kind of the thing I wanted to really get into you, or get into, <laughs> get into you, um, get <laughs> get into with you, is just a couple of things came together and I thought, who would be the best person to talk about this with? And your name was right at the top of the list. So, you know, Back in, I think it was August, there was that um, investor meeting that Bob Iger was at for, uh, it was at Goldman Sachs, for God's sakes, which is its own <laughs> strangeness, yeah, but... <laughs> where he was already starting to kind of warn investors that Rogue One was not going to perform as well at the box office as The Force Awakens. He was already trying to temper expectations on mm. that because, of course, you know Disney being a huge publicly traded company, you know, has investors and expectations for their revenues and all that that they've got to deal with. And they've Mm -hmm. done tremendously well already this year with the Marvel movies and with uh, Finding Dory, et cetera, et cetera. But they're already trying to temper that expectation. And I ran into an old friend of mine at a party the other week. And, um, you know, he's somebody who I would say is a quote unquote casual Star Wars fan, if you will. He's not like you or I who, you know, comparatively obsess over the news, regardless of whether it happens to be spoiler related or not, you know. And he said to me, hey, you know what? What is the deal with this new movie? And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, I don't know if I really even care about it because it's not about it's not about the people I care about. It's not about Luke Skywalker. It's not about any of his kids or anything like that. Like it has nothing to do with the movies I grew up with. Why do I even care about this movie? And I was <laughs> really surprised. And this is like a, a positive guy. He's not like, you know, mm. a, a hater or looking, you know, for any reason to come down on stuff. He was just matter of fact, like, why do I even care about this? Like, this isn't, you know, part of the story that I need to know about. And so it just, it got me thinking about the fact that, Disney has like more of an uphill battle, I think, than we all necessarily consider or realize in taking on this franchise. And they couldn't have possibly made the deal, which is now four years old with Lucasfilm, to buy them out without knowing that they couldn't do just three movies every 10 years and then three movies every 10 years and three movies every 10 years, and that would be a viable strategy. They had to know that they were going to have to do this and face this. And Mm -hmm. so what do you do as a company to create movies that are going to be compelling for the non-Star Wars audience and fill in those gaps? And so, yeah, there you go. Like that's the the (laughs) open-ended thing that I want to um, jump into with you. And so let the chips fall where they may. (laughs) Well, I... I think there. I, I think Lucasfilm absolutely had a plan for how they wanted to to expand the Star Wars cinematic universe, um, and 
even if Lucasfilm hadn't already had that plan in place uh, when George himself approached Bob Iger about selling the company, uh, it definitely would have gotten in place uh, once uh, the sale was completed and Kathleen Kennedy was, you know, asked by Bob Iger, all right, so what are you planning to do with this company that we now own? Uh, cinematic universes are sort of the stock in trade of the the blockbuster uh realm in hollywood that's basically what everyone is trying to build towards like that's what ghostbusters was supposed to be it's probably not going to happen now but that was the intent ghostbusters was supposed to spin off its own uh, cinematic universe everyone's looking at marvel uh and when disney uh bought marvel it was because uh the people at marvel had already you know taken the huge risk to start their own cinematic universe uh, and Disney was like, I want in on that. And that's how Marvel got picked up and was given the funds that they needed to sort of realize their grand experiment, which is still paying off. Just start another chapter of it just paid off spectacularly a few weeks ago. Right. Right. So, I mean, the cinematic universe is the stock in trade and Lucasfilm has a plan for their cinematic universe. And it's not the same as Marvel and they're not running Marvel's playbook. And I don't think they're going to anytime soon. Uh, so I do think that Iger's telling people to depress their expectations was smart. I know a lot of people saw that as him like covering up for something or, uh, trying to make excuses before, you know, sort of like a, a nervous kid in speech class. The first thing he does, and it's always the wrongest thing he does is <laughs> tell everybody that the speech isn't going to be any good before he starts in on the speech. Like that will automatically get you docked a grade in speech class. Right. Right. And I think a lot of people were interpreting what Bob Iger said in that, in that vein. And I think what he was doing was just sort of injecting common sense. It was like, look, nobody, not you, not me, and I run Disney, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy at Lucasfilm, not J.J. Abrams, none of the writers writing about any of this, uh, and none of the analysts in Hollywood expected The Force Awakens to do over $600 million domestically. Like, that was the upper end of anyone's predictions. They were like, December's going to, you know, sort of stifle how much money it could possibly make. Uh, it's been away for too long. Uh, it's People are going to be, you know, shaky because it's not real Star Wars because George Lucas is gone and that might damage the brand. Uh, people were making the argument that the prequels will have damaged the brand. Um, and everyone had all these reasons for why Star Wars couldn't possibly break 600 mil domestic and if it did it wouldn't be much more than like 625 650 the movie comes out and clears 900 almost gets a billion domestic on its own in winter sort of flouting all of the conventional wisdom that led up to that point made 250 million in the space of three and a half days in its opening weekend and so he's coming out there because he knows how people work he knows how hindsight in the entertainment media works and is trying to ensure that people don't start getting a taste for expecting the completely unexpected and using that as a measuring stick because he's a smart man and he knows what's going to be coming down the pipe. And what's coming down the pipe is what did come down the pipe. You end up with people automatically, just as a, a matter of fact, with no basis behind it, but as a matter of fact, in their magazine articles saying things like, if Rogue One doesn't do what Force Awakens did, it's, it's a disappointment. What? Like how what if Rogue One doesn't do what Force Awakens did, 
it's <laughs> it's Felicity Jones's fault. Like, well, how is it her fault? You know, and all these sort of faulty assumptions that make for good copy just sort of get accepted by the people reading. Uh, and he wanted to get out in front of that. Um, I don't know if it worked all that well, especially since it was just an investor meeting. It wasn't like a PR thing. He didn't hold a press conference. He was just talking to his investors. But still, that's the sort of thing he was trying to stave off. Like the 900 million thing is an outlier, you guy. I know we're Star Wars, but even then, you got to crank it down a little bit. Um, at, at least crank it down to like Marvel levels or Pixar levels. Give us that. And even that is safe because... If Rogue One, like this is how astronomical the numbers were for The Force Awakens. If Rogue One makes 55% of what The Force Awakens, just over half of what The Force Awakens made domestically, it will still clear 500 million and be number one for the year. <laughs> like people will report that number as like an astounding 50% drop for Rogue One. Oh my God, what's Lucasfilm going to do? Uh, but the fact of the matter is, even if it has that 50 plus percent drop, it's still going to clear 500 million. It will still be the most lucrative movie <laughs> of 2016. It will still at minimum, even if it only gets like 113, 114 million in its opening weekend, it'll probably get closer to 125, 130. That will still be close to double what the existing record was before Force Awakens came out. So it's still going to be a juggernaut. It's still going to be huge. And as to the question of your friend is, why should I care? I think the answer is already sort of embedded within the question itself. It's not why don't I care? It's why do I care? You already care and you care because the name Star Wars is on it. And to me, I think that is why the question of where does it fit within the timeline is more or less an academic one aimed at people who are already fans. I think like casuals, uh, regular moviegoers and people who think Star Wars is a cool thing that pops up on TV every now and again around the holidays aren't necessarily going to care where it slots in. They're just going to know that it's a Star Wars movie um, and Star Wars stuff happens in it. Just in the same way that I think there's a lot of people who keep going to Marvel movies and couldn't tell you where in the timeline each Marvel movie happens. I think there's people who study the Marvel movies and aren't exactly sure where in the timeline each Marvel movie happens. Like a whole bunch of people just got out of uh, Doctor Strange. And I bet if you ask them, where on this line does Strange fit? A good 60% of them wouldn't know. They would have to guess at it. They couldn't give you a confident answer. Um, and I think that might be uh, where we're at with Star Wars. Like, casuals uh regular moviegoers uh people who just sort of know of star wars and think it'd be a fun time at the movies aren't gonna you know they're not too concerned with where it fits until they're already in the theater at which point lucasfilm's gonna be happy because they've got your money right right mm -hmm. um so i i think i think that's the key like i i've heard plenty of stories uh, a lot like yours um, I've even had one or two of those examples when friends have come over, um, and I'm running the rogue one trailer and they're like, all right, so where, where exactly is this again? And I have to explain it. Um, they seem sort of like, eh, oh, okay. All right. It's that, it's that again. There's, there's going to be a death star again. Oh no, no. Yeah. It's a prequel. Oh, it's a prequel. No, yes. It's a, you know, the word prequel isn't a bad word, right? Oh, <laughs> I, I know. I know. I'm just, so, you know, temple of doom was a prequel, right? Yeah. 
well, maybe that's not the best example to make. I say, hey, hold, let's not start talking Yang about Temple of Doom, buddy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we go spin it off into a, compl- a completely different uh, avenue of discussion. But uh, I've had those examples as well. But to me, I've never got the sense. And this is the question I don't hear a lot of people asking. I've never gotten the sense that anyone thinking about possibly seeing this movie has I don't know where it fits on the timeline as a reason to not go. Like, I've never heard of someone saying, oh, it fits there in the timeline? Well, I don't need to see it. Like, Mm -hmm. I've never heard that pop out of anybody. Like, that's never been a response (laughs) to, to any of this line of discussion. Like, usually they don't know where it is, and then you tell them where it is, and at worst they shrug and go, oh, okay, or they're a little bit, oh, so they're not in it, and... At worst, you get a shrug. I've never actually heard anyone say, oh, well, now I'm not going to see it again. Like anyone who is that invested on a story level is probably going to see it regardless because they've already proven how much they care, how much they're invested in Star Wars as a story by even asking the question in the first place. So I got to imagine Lucasfilm has that in mind and knows that when they're making these movies and marketing these movies. You know, I I think there is a difference though, and you know maybe it's just because you know I am a you know I'm a fan of a certain type, and I'm having trouble seeing out of my particular foxhole. Even though it seems like you are certainly not having the same difficulty <laughs> I am. But the example that you bring up with the Marvel movies, I uh, you know I yeah, just saw Doctor Strange, and yeah, I I'm probably within the sixty percent who would not be able to tell you exactly where on the timeline it falls, except to say that. As far as I know, I just consider them to be happening one after the other after the other. So I presume that it happens after the events of Civil War, but I wouldn't be able to say that for sure. And even with the stuff that's happening on Netflix, like I'm watching the Luke Cage series right now, and they've still got people on the street hawking fake DVD, well, not fake DVDs, uh, you know, illegal or just, you know, Mm -hmm. Cinema Verite DVDs of what they refer to as the incident which is, of course, the events of the very first Avengers movie. Mm. And it's like, you know, if you just release this, why are your, you know, why are you still having things referencing that movie that happened a few years ago? And why aren't you, you know, more in line with where, you know, the timeline is now? That seemed a little mm. bit odd to me. But then again, but, maybe but, it's just I'm a timeline obsessed guy. Yeah, but even then, I would I would point out that. Um, this shows the capacity for interest in a property to completely subsume uh, its fictional relation on a on a timeline. I don't. Most people wanted to see Luke Cage or Daredevil, not to see where it might fit or if it even fits at all with the other Marvel films, but because the content seemed interesting to them. Uh, and that sort of speaks again to the uh, the level of confusion that people are worried about that I don't really see coming into play. Like it's not that hard to like Marvel and it's not that hard to like star Wars and it's not really that complicated to sort of jump in at any of those points and enjoy the fiction as it's presented to you in that chapter. Like you don't have to watch any of the other Marvel movies to start with daredevil and you can start with daredevil season two and be a okay. And I sort of feel like that's what we're all going to end up learning about Rogue One once it finally gets done playing. Is that all the questions and nervousness we had about people being confused as to where it slots in on the timeline will have been answered by the movie itself probably within the first five to ten minutes. Oh, yes. <laughs> at, w- at which point the question becomes moot. 
Like it, it, it's, it literally will not matter. Like the normal average moviegoer outside of our own fandom bubble has no problem just jumping in and following the story. Now, they may not trace the story back into its weird little intricate cul-de-sacs in the past and then, you know, stretching out and tendrilling into the future. But the story as it needs to be told in the movie that they're sitting down to watch at that moment plays just fine. Um, And I think the Marvel shows and the way they uh, intertwine with the Marvel movies or, or an even better example the way the DC universe on television has nothing to do with the DC films at all, completely separate fictional universes and people can and do move in between both of them with no questions, no complaints. The people who do complain are the hardcores who are automatically going to go and watch both the shows and the movies and buy the Blu-rays multiple times. Those people, so far as Lucasfilm is concerned are done deal. They're already in. They're already bought and paid for. So you don't necessarily have to focus your marketing on making sure everyone understands where in the timeline you are. They instead choose to focus the marketing on making sure you understand the tone of the movie you're about to see. And I think that's what they're doing with Rogue One more than anything. Although we're talking about this on the very same day that a new international trailer came out, uh, also thus proving my axiom that um, the international ads are always better than the domestic ads. This is the best piece of marketing Rogue One has done, period. Yeah. This, this new international trailer. Um, and it does sort of seem like they're at least speaking to some of your concerns. They they use the term Death Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's def- It definitely seems that um, through both imagery and dialogue in this trailer – you have a really solid sense as to when this story happens in Star Wars, even if you're not all that familiar with Star Wars. Yeah, the trailers domestically so far definitely rely on the knowledge of the fan base to fill in the gaps a bit. You know, just the a major weapons test and they're showing the Death Star. And so you're obviously supposed to make the connection. And, you know, 90 percent of the people are probably making the connection. But for that international audience in particular, they don't have the same level of exposure, and China certainly doesn't have the same level of exposure to it, let alone the you know, amount of time to create a fandom that would be as deeply invested in it where they would be having the same kind of conversations that you and I are having right now. I know mm. it was a Japanese trailer, but still, like this, the same kind of thing applies to it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely yeah, it's definitely something I want to talk with you about. And you just sent me off on about half a dozen different tributaries. Um, not <laughs> the least of which is <laughs> um, the fact that I can't believe Grant Gustin is not going to play the Flash in the DC cinematic universe versus the TV universe. It has yeah. been wanting to use not my Flash hashtags or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> that's well, a. a- separate thing and like you know you're right about the the tv shows like if the luke cage example that i mentioned if they hadn't mentioned anything about the incident like you know i would have been fine if it had existed in a bubble and not referenced anything else and really it it just surprised me that they had it in there when i felt like at least so far i'm eight episodes in that it does stand uniquely on its own. And you're right about being able to jump in and Daredevil season two and it being okay. And I do feel like you are the exact right person to be talking to about this because I have the sense 
of that bubble existing that I'm living in as a, a Star Wars fan, but I don't quite, you know, know how to pop it. And I feel like you're helping me do that. Well, and I think you've are I think you already exist outside of that bubble. It's just sort of a matter of reorienting the perspective so you realize that you are the person you're wondering about when it comes to a different uh when it comes to a different fandom. Like for Marvel, you're not in that bubble and it doesn't occur to you to ask those questions. But for Star Wars, because you hold it so dear and you've spent so much time investigating and diving into it, uh, that bubble, the walls seem to be a little bit thicker than they really are. You can just walk through them like a, like a droidica's shield, if you will. Right. Uh, but uh, you don't even perceive the bubbles when it comes to, you know, like the DC television universe and the DC uh, movie universe or the DC animated universe. All the Blu-rays that they've continued to deliver to the market since like 1998. Uh, you know, th there's a whole lot of uh, genre entertainment that I guarantee you enjoy and it hasn't ever occurred to you to question when or where it fits in its own continuity, in its own sprawling cinematic universe, such as it were. Um, so I think you already exist out of it. It's just a matter of sort of resetting your perspective uh, as to how someone outside of your bubble might ap uh, approach Star Wars, much in the same way you might approach uh i'm trying to think of a series that isn't uh superhero related although it's the most relevant example uh man i don't know i don't know we'll just stick with the superheroes <laughs> yeah might as well right yeah <laughs> well the other part of that bubble too then is and, and this also ties into something that you and i have had exchanges about on twitter from time to time about your theory that <laughs> you hope the han solo movie is essentially Smokey and the Bandit in space. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, um, which could be hysterically fun. And the, <laughs> the thing I was wondering about and wanted to pose to you is with this expansion of the Star Wars cinematic universe and going into these Star Wars stories, how much do you think it's a strategy of Lucasfilm to try to at least start off with, and maybe down the line they won't be as beholden to this idea, but how much do you think they have to consider centering movies around touchstones that will at least be passingly familiar to fans? Like, for example, the Death Star is a you know giant thing that we know of from the original trilogy, and then the pitch of the first spinoff movie is... Well, you remember how you know that he had they had that huge Death Star? This is a story about how they got the plans to blow the thing up. So mm. you've tied it into an existing movie. So the Han Solo movie makes me wonder, what do we have to have in this movie? Are they going to center it around something like this is how he frees Chewbacca from you know being a slave? Like, is that going to be the major thrust of the movie? Is it going to be something that ties into some very important piece of you know Star Wars history? And mm -hmm. are we definitely going to see Lando lose the Falcon to Han in this movie? You know, iconic stuff like that. How important it is, is it for Lucasfilm to tie at least these first few Star Wars story movies to sort of iconic touchstones in the Star Wars universe? 
Uh, I think it's fairly important to them, uh, not only because they are cultural touchstones uh, for the massive fan base that they already do have to tend to. Like, they can't ignore the fact that we're automatically sold tickets. Um, They can rely on us to an extent, but they definitely can't ignore us. So they still have to sort of nod to us and let us know that they're trying to take care of us uh, on that level. Um, And also just because it's sort of – it's a little bit easier. It's – it gives you uh, sort of somewhere to come home to. You know what I'm saying? I'm imagining uh, like these spinoff films are sort of like buoys in an ocean, right? They're blinking and they're floating and you can get to them and rest there for a little bit on your journey across this vast deep blue sea. Um, and I'm and I feel like it's a little bit easier if those buoys are tethered to something uh, or are near a landmark that you already have a sense of. And I think that's sort of what these spinoff films are like at first. And once we as a, as an audience have a better understanding as to what Star Wars is going to be moving forward, it's going to be a little bit easier for us to sort of swim away from, you know, those recognizable land masses and those buoys and, and go deep sea diving, as it were, uh, whether that's television, uh, whether that's like a really experimental film that has a Star Wars story stuck to it, whether there's a, a separate set of spinoffs that are, you know, in the Star Wars universe, but have nothing to do with anything we've ever messed with before. Um, but I do think they sort of need to lay that groundwork and give people the opportunity to sort of reset their idea of what Star Wars can be. I think that's absolutely what Rogue One is doing. They're using stealing the Death Star plans to give you an idea or to get your feet wet with the idea that Star Wars doesn't have to play out in a set way. Um, I'm not particularly happy about the idea that a crawl is going to go away. You're not going to get the big bold letters at the beginning of the movie. Like that's gone now. Are we? But that's is that also, official? Is that official? No, Kathleen Kennedy um, basically flat out said it in an interview shortly after Celebration. Like she, she, she didn't one hundred percent confirm, but the language she used was basically like, "You need to really get used to the idea that we're not going to do that because we've been talking about not doing that." And I just basically said, "We're not going to do it." So, <laughs> like, I'm paraphrasing, but right. she was basically making sure anyone around understood that you're not going to get an opening scroll. Your Rogue One is going to start in a different way and it's going to use different filmmaking conventions. That's part of the reason they went out and got Gareth Edwards because he makes big, dramatic monster movies that use scale in ways Star Wars hasn't really used before. Not, not since George in 77. Uh, and so Rogue One is using that touchstone as a way to sort of bring you in and then give you something new so you can, you know, reformat what Star Wars means to you in your head, which is sort of why I want the Han Solo and Lando movie, which is sort of how I think of it now. I don't even really think of it as the Han Solo movie. It's the Han Solo and Lando movie. <laughs> Han and Lando. Uh, once you put Donald Glover in there as Lando, it becomes the Han and Lando movie. I don't know how much time he's got in it, but I guarantee that's how people are going to be thinking of it once they leave the theater. He's just that commanding a presence. Uh, I, I think they might be thinking of it as the Lando and Han movie once it's over. <laughs> I kind of hope so, man. Like, um, here's a good example using uh, Kasdan's own filmography uh, as a touchstone. Most people would say, if they had to, that Silverado is Kevin Klein's movie. 
if you've seen Silverado, it's a it's an ensemble western. Mm-hmm. It's not really anybody's movie, but Kevin Klein is on the poster, dead center. Um, and if you had to sort of meet out the the amount of time given to each character in Silverado, you could argue that he got the most time. But it's not really his movie. And I'm, I mean, a large part of the movie and almost all of the heart of the movie comes with Danny Glover's character in the film, who you don't even really meet until I want to say like a third of the way in. So he's not in it all that much. But a huge part of the story's weight and emotion is tied to Danny Glover's character. I can see that being sort of the same thing here with the Han Lando movie, simply because it's Kasdan again. Um you already got a sense that the cast is going to be kind of big with the Han and Lando movie. Um, he's very good at writing these sorts of uh, fun-loving drama comedies that have a, a lot of adventure in them. Something like Silverado, for example. Um, the idea of using Han maybe snaking the Millennium Falcon out from Lando or and I think this is maybe a better choice or at least it would be for me uh, him actually doing the Kessel run in under 12 parsecs like exploring what that actually means turning that into some sort of race movie like Smokey and the Bandit or Cannonball Run even Mm -hmm. Uh, like using that as an excuse to sort of reformat what Star Wars can be and turning it into something like a Burt Reynolds, Burt Reynolds buddy comedy from 1977. That would be interesting. That would be crazy. And then once you have, oh, Star Wars can be a, a legit war movie. Oh, Star Wars can be a, a half-drunk action comedy. That's the point at which I'm hoping for an Obi-Wan movie to show you that Star Wars can be a solemn Western. Mm-hmm. And then Star Wars can be literally anything. You just have to then put robes on people, put glow sticks in their hands and go send them off into their own genre, which is what Marvel's been doing with their superhero stories. Like people just sort of call them superhero movies, but they're not really. They go into like 15 different genres and the only thing linking them together is the shared characters and the fact that there's going to be someone somewhat superpowered within that story. And I'm thinking Lucasfilm is trying to set the table to do that with Star Wars, where you're going to end up with films that absolutely occupy almost entirely different genres by the time we hit like 2021. The only thing they'll have in common is the fact that someone somewhere knows of the force and someone somewhere knows how to fly an X-Wing or something (laughs) like that. That's those are going to be the common elements that tie this rich tapestry together that takes the title Star Wars and starts pushing it into genres it hasn't really existed in before. And I think that's sort of what they're trying to do. And I think, I mean, in even the titles coming back to that and the that opening crawl, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to miss it too. And it's there's something that rebels in me very strongly about seeing it go away, you know, especially considering the fact that they use an opening crawl in every other media, all the comics have an opening crawl in the beginning pages. The the books have what essentially amounts to an opening crawl right in the front before it kicks into any of the book. You know, the idea that they wouldn't do it with Rogue One seems so bizarre. And yet that idea that, you know, my friend expressed about, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with the saga. You know, they have to do something visually to kind of separate it. So... Mm. Yeah, something definitely something different has to happen with it ultimately. Yeah, and I mean, for me, it seems like a, a cosmetic answer to uh, a question that needs much more uh, depth to answer it. And I think the movie itself will answer it. 
like you could start Rogue One and you probably should start Rogue One with a crawl if you are really that concerned with people being confused because then you can set up uh, such and such scientist. Uh, these are the Ursos, uh, Director Krennic, super angry. You know, you can sort of set up the characters as you roll into the situation you're going to roll into. Uh, it seems like what they're going to do is start it with a flashback. That's what the trailers seem to be hinting at, which will then do most of the heavy lifting that a scroll would do, but in a way that isn't, you know, expressly Star Wars. Um, it becomes even more silly when you stop and think about the fact that a movie with all new characters uh, in an all new situation that we don't really have any footing on other than the fact we know it will end with plans being stolen will not have a scroll. Episode eight is going to have a scroll and we know it's going to start exactly where the last movie left off. There's literally nothing to explain. We right. are caught up with where the story is going to start mm-hmm. and that he's going to have a scroll. <laughs> so it's obviously it's utility as a story element is now secondary uh, to its utility uh, stylistically. And they have decided that scroll is more important stylistically to the saga movies than it is to the spinoffs. And the spinoffs are going to have to go their own way and figure out their own thing. And maybe it's going, maybe it's going to be movie to movie. Maybe Han and Lando will have a main title pop up, but instead of being yellow, it'll be blue. And you'd be like, oh, it's a different Star Wars movie. And maybe it won't be a scroll. Uh, maybe it'll be like, you know, a newscaster will be reporting on something. Maybe it'll be like Clone Wars where you've got someone doing, you know, the newsreel uh, in the front. Oh, my goodness. Uh, mushrooms growing like wildfire. I don't know. But <laughs> but, yeah. you know, they'll come up. Maybe they'll come up with their own thing movie by movie uh, for the spinoffs. Uh, who knows? But it is definitely going to be uh, a, a little bit disconcerting uh, and and it'll lodge me out of the experience just a little bit, but not any more than, say, the 20th Century Fox fanfare not being in front of Force Awakens uh, dislodged me. And even then it was just sort of like, oh, it hadn't occurred to me that they just wouldn't play anything. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure they would, they would play something. Something would happen. They would have come up with their own fanfare. Yeah, it's I just thought they little... had. Yeah. And it turns out, nope, they're just going to let it come in from black. And I was like, that is elegant. And then it didn't it didn't even occur to me once the movie started and was rolling along. I was in and uh, it didn't really bother me uh, one whit after that. And I think that's sort of what the uh, the lack of the opening scroll is going to be like for Rogue One. Like we're going to be like, man, there's no big main title. There's no scroll. I'm hoping it's going to be something like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Bang. Movie starts. Like we don't we don't get titles at all. We don't get opening music. We just immediately snap into the movie. And that would be interesting. That that gives you that sense of immediacy and thrusts you into the story uh, in a way that um, a lot of filmmakers are doing now. Like a lot of big blockbusters completely do away with opening credits or titles at all. Uh, the Batman movies uh, were really good at that. Like you would get a logo if that mm-hmm. you would get a hint of a logo and then the movie would just start. You, you, you got no titles, you got no main theme, you got no opening credit situation. It was just a uh, film company logo, film company logo. Is, is that a bat? Am I looking at a movie's on? And yep. I'm wondering if that's the course they're going to take with Star Wars. Yeah, like, you know, The Dark Knight, that, what a fantastic opening, that one, mm-hmm. the second one. of I mean, they're all like that, but exactly. And I think that would be perfectly fine if they did it like that. And then, of course, the Han Solo movie with the music coming in you know if if the bith band is supposed to be you know like aliens finding benny goodman then mm-hmm. if they opened the han solo and lando movie with the the bith band finding the sheet music for eastbound and down 
and taking a shot at that. <laughs> oh, that would be great. I didn't know I wanted that until you just said it. And now <laughs> I need it. I need that. Oh, that would be so cool. I think that would be a gas. Oh, God. All right, we're going to pause the conversation there. I'll pick the rest of it up for you tomorrow. And in the meantime, I've got a trivia question for you after the break. Stay tuned. Hey, Rebel Rouser. You're listening to this podcast. Maybe you'd like to listen to a Star Wars story, too. Luckily, we've got just the thing for you. We've partnered with Audible to give you a free download and a free 30-day trial of their awesome service. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com SW7X7 to sign up and get your free download. They've got dozens of Star Wars titles. Anything you want to do to explore that galaxy far, far away. One more time for you, audibletrial.com SW7X7. Hey, welcome back. I've got your trivia question for you. We have a mission for you. Oh, shh, shh. Okay, later. We'll talk about that later. Oh. Last time I asked you with what kind of enemy Kylo Ren threatened General Hux, and that was a clone army. Today's question, Captain Phasma ordered Finn to report to her division at once. Did he? Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you're forced to use a blaster to defeat a cyborg, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And if you like what you've been hearing, support the podcast at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not uncivilized, it's destiny unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2016 Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.